And with that, I'm going to invite my wife up to the lectern, and she's going to be reading today's scripture from the book of Ruth, chapter 1. Ruth is right after Judges. And would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Great time for that notification. It sounded like time to read the Bible. All right. <laughs> da, 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 da. Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 to the end of the chapter. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. They lifted their voices and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And Ruth said, see, or no, and Naomi said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For wherever you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more so also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, No more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. The women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity on me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Lord, before I start preaching on your word, Lord God, empty me out, Lord God, so that only you remain. This is not my opportunity to impart my philosophy or my reasoning, but to preach your word. Bless your word, Lord God. May it, may it go forth and produce much in us and those around us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The first chapter of Ruth is, is punctuated by the, that question of today, should I stay or should I go? Many people agonize over that same decision today. Do you venture out? Do you venture out in obedience or stay where it's comfortable? 
Do you go to try to, do you try to leave your problems or do you stay in obedience? Whether or not the decision to stay or go is very much based on, based on our own attitude, our own reasoning. In Victor Hugo's novel turned musical Les Miserables, you have the main character, Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean is a, is a fugitive out on the run. And out of that time, he's actually able to make himself into this respected businessman and mayor of his town. And then he finds out through, through, a, um, through a, a police officer that, uh, that they are on his trail, but actually they think it's somebody else. It's an innocent person that they think is Jean Valjean. And Jean Valjean, he has to ask himself, what should I do in here? He has the musical, he has the uh, song, Who Am I? In the song, he has a repetition of, repetition of his conundrum. If he shows himself to the police, the innocent man will be set free, but he himself can look forward to, most assuredly, a life in prison. But if he stays and remains silent, how, how can he live with himself, knowing that an innocent man will be serving his sentence? The line of the song that torments him so um, is this, If I go, I am condemned. If I stay, I am damned. The setting of Ruth is very desperate. And all the people mentioned um, here in this first chapter have that decision to make that question, should I stay or should I go? Ruth is a short story. It's been called the greatest short story, the greatest novella of all time. It is also a love story, one of the greatest love stories of all time. Romeo and Juliet have nothing on Ruth and Boaz. In fact, while I'm on the topic, Romeo and Juliet isn't the best love story anyway. Jim and Pam have a couple seasons of angst, of will they, won't they. That's nothing compared to Boaz and Ruth, a, a Moabite and a man from Judah. You know, if actually, if I planned things better, I probably would have, should have done the series in, starting in February, so I could have like had the fourth one on like around Valentine's Day. But as you know, it's really the Lord who directs that, not so much me. When preaching through Ruth, there's two general ways of preaching through Ruth. Either you kind of do one sermon for the whole book, in which you start in chapter 4 and you kind of work your way back, or you teach it the way those in synagogue would have learned it, the way that Jewish people would have taught it to their kids, which is chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And the reason why you do that is that you build that anticipation of, will they, won't they? What's going to happen here? How is God going to make a message out of this mess? Well, I decided I'm going to do both today um, and this next, next month or so. Um, I, am going to, I am going to go start with chapter 1, verse 1. In fact, you can show, open up your Bibles to the book of Ruth, and we can, we'll be starting in verse 1. And the, the book of Ruth answers the question, how does a pagan woman from a people who are conceived in sin become King David's great-grandma and Jesus' ancestor? It also answers the bigger question, the, the question that is not directly asked outright. For this question, I remember when I was working, I was a seasonal worker at Target. I don't know if anybody has else had that pleasure before. Um, Target's always looking for workers around Christmas time. And um, I was stocking shelves, and I was stocking shelves with this uh, one gal. She was a Muslim, she was a Muslim woman. And uh, we were talking about, this is around... Um, 2000 and, uh, what, 2011, 2012? It's when all the birds were dying. I don't know if anybody remembers this or not. All these birds were dying, and there was all these Muslim prophecies that this was the end of the world. 
So we're talking about this. She's telling me all the anxiety she has about the end of the world. And I said, you know, I'm not afraid of that. Not that I don't think I'll die someday. Or even if it was the end of the world, I'm not, I'm not worried about that at all. She's like, how couldn't you be worried about it? She was awfully worried because even though she was Muslim, she was Muslim in really name only. She didn't go to temples. She didn't, um, she didn't observe any of the customs. She wasn't planning a trip to Mecca any time in her life. So she's like, what's going to happen to me once all this happens? I said, I have no worry of that because there's one who has died for me and he has died for my sins. I know that when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I am justified. And she asked me this question. It's the question that Ruth answers, the book of Ruth answers, which is, who is going to die for me? And if you don't know how to answer that question as a Christian, we need to talk afterwards. Really, the the, the question behind even that question is this, who is going to redeem me? Who is going to redeem me? Ruth is a picture of Christ's redemption. Pastor Alistair Begg, when uh, going over the book of Ruth, um, shares this story about he was, him and a few other pastors were kind of doing a tour through the United States. And one of the places that they were visiting was the College of Yale. At the College of Yale, he was uh, at a local coffee shop getting ready for one of his sermons that he'd be preaching over there. And um, this uh, gal um, who was a student at Yale, she was a Chinese national. That means that she was a citizen of China who was going to school in America. And she saw his Bible out and she asked him, are you a Christian? She was like really excited. And he's like, yeah, I'm a Christian. She's like, I am too. And I think that's so amazing because she was so surprised to find another Christian in the godless United States of Yale. Um, and he had asked her, it's like, okay, so you come from China. How did you, how did you become a Christian? And she had the most wonderful answer I could, I've ever heard. She said, I entered through the narrow gate. I heard that. It took me a second and I was like, me too. I did. I, me, me too. I entered through the narrow gate. I entered through the narrow gate. Ruth is a story of a person who has entered through the narrow gate. Her story doesn't make sense how she would be in the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ is what the Kimson Redeemer points to. We read the book of Ruth and we say, what a nice little story. Our response, though, should be, that's my story. It's just told a little differently. That's my story. It's just told a little differently. Or if you don't know Jesus Christ, your question should be this. Who's going to redeem me as Boaz redeemed Ruth? Once upon a time in Judges. Let's start with verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled. In the days when the judges ruled. I said before, Ruth is written like a short story and it starts off like one too. I like how the KJV, the King James Version starts it. Now it came to pass. That's a wonderful poetic way of talking that we don't talk to anymore. You should use it in your, in your, in your day-to-day life, like you're telling a story tomorrow at work. And it came to pass I was in church yesterday. You will see much, more, much smarter than maybe you truly are, but it's great. It sounds like once upon a time. Here, let me tell you a story. And this is a true story because it has people and events and names. It's not a parable, but this really happened, but it's a truly great story. It's like, lean in, come in, let me tell you this story. In the days when the judges ruled. Now we know the days the judges ruled, it was not a fun time. It was not a great time. It was marked by moral chaos. In fact, we have one of the 
terrible lines in all of Scripture to hear spoken over a nation, spoken over Israel during the time of Judges. In, in those days, Israel had no king, and every man did what he thought was right in his own eyes. And that's at the end of Judges. If you are reading the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, in order, you get to Judges before you get to Ruth. And there's so much mercy in that because you get to the end of Judges and the most heinous act of sin you'll ever read about is at the end of Judges. In fact, an entire tribe of Israel, the Benjamites, are almost wiped off the face of the earth because of this terrible, terrible sin. And that's how Judges ends. And you're like, Then you get to Ruth and you're like, thank you. (laughs) It's nice to have a little love story right after this horrible event. And that's where, that is where Ruth is at. It's like, okay, so here's all the terribleness that happened during Judges. Here is a redeeming aspect of what was going on during that time. The place is Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the city of bread. And at the time the Judges ruled, The rule of the judges was a time of chaos. God had promised the people of Israel if they would follow him, if they would do what is right, they would be blessed. They would have no needs. But if they were to turn aside to worship other gods, then he would bring famine. He would bring, he he would withhold the reins. And this is where we are at here. In verse 1, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land and a man of Bethlehem and Judea went to sojourn in the, in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Bethlehem means city of bread. Ironically, there is no bread in this city. It is the city of David. It is the city where Jesus Christ is born. And instead of staying there, a man named Abimelech, sorry, I can't pronounce his name very well, and that's probably going to keep going on, Abimelech, um, he decides they are going to go to the nation of the Moabs. The nation of Moab. Now, Moab, the person the, the people are named after, that is Lot's grandchild and Lot's child. Um, the story goes, if you remember, Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed and Lot's daughters get him drunk and take advantage of him and have children from there. One of them is Moab, Moab and that's where the people of Moab come from. And God told them, do not intermarry in fact, God calls their, their patron god of the Moabites an abomination. He was their version of Baal, Baal um, and they would sacrifice their children to him. And Abimelech, he decides, I am going to go here for safety. He has that question, you know, should I stay or should I go? Now, now I, I feel for him because there's no great answers right here because if he stays... If he, say, if, he, if he goes, there might be trouble because you have, the, you have the country of the Moabites, something that God did not want them to do. And he feels like if he stays, there will be double. God forbid, them, God forbid them to intermarry with the Moabites. And as he goes, as he decides to move his family there to go to safety, all he finds is death and death for his two sons. He leaves for safety, and in verse 3, he finds death in Moab. In verse 4, we have the unintended consequence of his decision, too. Verse 3 and 4. But Abimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The, um, The name of one was Ophrah, and the name of the other was Ruth. 
they, they lived there about 10 years. Verse 5, and both Malan and Shelan died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. I imagine Abimelech thought, I, we are going to move to Moabite. I'm doing this for my family. See, that's the thing when we don't consult God before we decide to do things for our family. When we don't, when we look at, we, we don't, I don't care what the Bible says, this is right for me. We have unintended consequences, not just for ourselves, but for everybody else too. For Abimelech, poor Naomi, she isn't, when we start verse six, she's probably one of the most pitiable person in all of the scriptures. If many people reading this at the time probably would have thought it would have been better for her to die too. Because for her not to have sons later in her life that are alive, not to have a husband, she has so little hope left. Basically none. In her own mind, she has no hope, period. But we know that God brings hope in hopeless situations. Abimelech had the question, do I stay or do I go? And he decides to go in disobedience instead of stay in obedience. For a lot of us, maybe we've lived that. We thought, hey, I just need to skip town and all my problems will go away. Then we go to the next town and all those problems are waiting for us. It's like, did they, did they speed? How did they get there before I got there? And all the same problems. Abimelech, he's a man of his time. The people of Judah, the people of Israel, they were licentious. They did what was right in their own eyes. They served other gods. That's why God brought famines and droughts. He went to a place where the God, where their God, Yahweh, calls an abomination, and he brings his family there. He made a very unwise, very terrible choice. Now, I can't really say much about his motives because we really don't know. But I'll tell you this, rabbinic tradition blames him for his own death and for the death of his sons. There are three other people in chapter 1 that struggle with that decision. Should I stay or should I go? From their response, we learn a lot of our reaction to the gospel of Christ. We have the two daughters-in-law, Ophrah and Ruth. And finally, we have Naomi. So I would have normally started in this next section with verse 6, which would have been in order. Um, but I'm actually going to save verses 6 and 7 for when I talk about Naomi. So we're going to skip down to verse 8. Verse 6 and 7 are all about Naomi's decision to go to stay, um, whether to stay in Moab or to go. For a while she does stay until she hears that God has visited his people and given them food. But I'm going to go ahead and skip down to verse 8. And before I read 8 through 14, um, I want to point something out. This is where Naomi's trying to convince her two daughter-in-laws not to follow her. She, she doesn't believe that there's anything in Israel for those two, which is really sad. It kind of shows you where her faith is at the time, because Israel has the true God of, God of the universe. It has everything. It's what they left. But she doesn't really believe that there's any hope for these two girls, so she tries to convince them through 8 through 14, stay where you're at, go back to your people, go back to your gods. And Ruth isn't having it. It's kind of one in, one in ear and out the other. There's nothing that she's going to say that's going to dissuade her. Naomi might as well say that there's Jabberwocky and abominable snowmen in Israel because for all the effect that it has on Ruth. She doesn't, she, she's not having it. Verses eight, verse, uh, starting with verse 8 here. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest 
each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. So her first tactic to try to get them to stay is sweetness. She tries to tell them, you've been so nice to me. May God do really nice things for you, but go back to your people. Go back to your gods. Naomi doesn't believe it's safe or good for her two daughters-in-law to follow her to Judea. In verse 8 and 9, she first tries sweetness by blessing them for being nice to her and to her two, to her, to her two boys then encourages them to find new husbands. At first, Oprah also doesn't want to leave Naomi's side. Both women then hearing Naomi try, uh, Naomi trying to shoo them away, they weep and they say to her, no, we will return with you to your people. We, the reader, know that Judea has a lot more to offer than potentially new husbands. The true God of the universe is there. Salvation is there, not just for the body, but for the soul. But Naomi, it kind of shows you where she's at now. We can't judge Naomi harshly. She lost her husband. She lost her two sons. But she is trying to shoo them away. It makes me think of Harry and the Hendersons. You don't need to watch that movie to get this reference. But John Lithgow, he's like shooing this this, uh, creature away. He's like, don't you see? We don't want you anymore. And he's thinking it's for its own good, but he'd be terrible to him. And that's kind of where Naomi's at. She's being terrible to her two daughters-in-law, but she's she's doing so, though, out of a, a broken spirit, out of good intentions. She gets... Oprah to walk away from true blessing. It's the same reason people will walk away from relationships with God today. You know, it's a very sad thing because you think about Oprah and you think she missed her opportunity to worship the true God of the universe, to be part of the greater story. And Naomi, you know, this makes me think, you know, just a warning for all of us who think we have such great advice we want to tell people. Make sure it's godly advice. Make sure it is steeped in the scripture because God will judge you for it. There's this old Scottish poem called Edward, Edward. It's almost incomprehensible because it's written in such a Scottish brogue that it's hard to understand. And in the poem, this guy comes into his house. His mother sees him. She's like, why does your brand say rough with blood, Edward, Edward? And that's, that's, that's how it's written. And what that means is his sword is, is bloody. He had killed his father he's like, I'm going to take off. And at the end of it, she's like, what do you have for your own mother, dear, Edward, Edward? What do you have for your own mother, dear? And he says, the curse from hell from me shall I give, mother, mother. The curse from hell from me shall, you, shall I give for such counsel you gave me. Some people think they're so wise and they will give such ungodly counsel. Now, you're not primarily responsible for what people do with what you advise, But God will judge you for that. So when you tell somebody that they need to get out of a relationship that God has blessed, God's going to hold you accountable for that. Let me move on here. Ophrah, she throws away her chance to be in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to worship him. One reason is familiarity. To reach out to God in faith and repentance has always been, been described as jumping off a cliff and praying to grow wings. In Let's go further here in verse 10. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why, um, why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, go, um, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband, this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? 
No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake and um, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept and Oprah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And that makes all the difference in the world. When Naomi is talking to Ruth and she renews her, her, uh, she renews her kind of assault to get Ruth to stay back. She says, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Familiarity. Go back to your people. You might have a chance. There might be somebody here who might want to marry you. In Israel, there's nobody. Once again, it has been, it has been described as reaching out in faith and repentance towards God, like jumping off a cliff, praying that you will grow wings on the way down. I remember working this secular job and my boss would call me into his office to speak of the things of the Lord. I wasn't a pastor at the time. He just knew where I was at. And it went really, really well. I mean, every question he had, I answered. And it came to the point where he says, I feel like I'm on the edge of something and I need to jump, but I don't want to because I don't know what that would mean for me. I tried to encourage him. It would mean everything. It would mean life. But he didn't want to leave the familiar. And Naomi was counting that Oprah would not want to leave the familiar, to step out of a comfort zone and to go into the great unknown. It sounds really nice in Disney movies to go into the unknown. In real life, it's terrifying. Because there, there would be monsters. Fear. Verse 11 through 13 is filled with fear. The implication, the implication is that unless Naomi had sons that very day, that would be their only chance to marry anybody because there would be nobody in Israel who would want to marry two Moabite widow, widows. She believes it would be a slow, demoralizing life and death. Fear has been used to that great effect even lately. Want to follow your own convictions? You might lose your job. Want to stand on what the Bible says about sexuality? Even in Western countries, you face imprisonment. Things we would never have guessed 20 years ago are absolutely happening today. You see how, they, you see how this world reacts towards those who just according to their own conscience don't want to fall in line? Wait till you see what the world acts like for people who want to follow the Lord when it becomes very unfashionable. That's not all that fear to make us stay back. Stay back with your people. Go back to your gods. Finally, the, the thing that also stops Oprah from following Naomi into the land of blessing is Oprah's faith. As strange as it is to say, faith keeps many people away from relationship with God because they want faith in everything except for the true God of the universe. So many people won't come to church. You'll ask them, hey, you want to come on Easter Sunday? And they're like, no, I'm a fill in the blank. So instead of bashing other churches, let's talk about people maybe who they've came even here or to another Assembly God church, but they haven't gone for years. And somebody will ask them to a good Bible-believing church and they'll say, no, I'm an Assembly of God person. Well, what's your church doing for Easter? I don't know. I don't attend. What does it matter then? And people use that as kind of a shield not to truly have a relationship with God. Oh, well, I'm a Catholic. I'm a Lutheran. I'm a of God. I'm whatever. Well, I'm glad you have a membership somewhere, but are you membership in God's family? Doesn't it, doesn't it speak life into you to be in a congregation where they're speaking the word of God? You can attend here every week and still get to the end of your life and find out that Jesus never knew you. Faith is a thing of the heart, not of an association. 
You had your gods that you went back to. Verse 15, um, Naomi says to Ruth, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. In verses 15 through 18, we have Ruth. Now, for a book that's titled Ruth, we get very little bit of Ruth. And that's why every time Ruth talks, we cling on to every word. I mean, it's the most inspirational things you'll ever read is in the book of Ruth, said by Ruth, but it's very, very little. Naomi urges Ruth to return back to her people and to her gods. I see this all the time by people who think that they are well-meaning, family, friends, and others urging people to go back to an old way of life, back to the old gods. Don't give out, once again, don't give out advice unless you're certain it's from the Bible. You will be judged for it. Naomi may may have thought that she had the best interests in what she was doing, but she was wrong, and you can kind of see where her heart is at that moment in time. Verse 15, And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do do so to me and more so. If anything but death parts me from you. Takes your breath away even reading that, doesn't it? This is such a unique story because it's not a love for a husband to a wife. It's not a love of a son to a father. It's not a love of a daughter towards a mother, but for a daughter-in-law to a mother-in-law. I mean, today that's like the the punchline to a joke, right? Mother-in-laws. Now, not me because I love my mother-in-law. And if you're watching, Bev, I love you. You're amazing. But I know for a lot of people, they're like mother-in-laws. And Naomi's like, I will go where you go. I will die where you die. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Ruth has made her decision. The choice for Ruth is clear. She can stay in Moab where she has a real chance of being married again. She might see she could stay where she's at and she has everything, but... She does not have the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She does not have her mother-in-law, Naomi. She does not have the people of God. And more importantly, Naomi's God. What a statement of faith. This This is one of the most unique statements in all of history. Fiction itself does not have anything on this. Devotion and love for a mother in law, for for a daughter in law to a mother in law. And more importantly, something had happened within Ruth's heart throughout her life to where she desired the blessing of God over the blessings of this world. It's true. She she had better prospects in Moab. They don't have any law over in Moab that you cannot marry somebody who was married, married to another Moabite. But they do in Israel. But she has the desire in her that Moab, that the, the, the nation of Moab cannot, cannot fill. I find a sister verse in the New Testament of what I just read of Ruth's answer to Naomi. Are you going to leave? And it's this, it's this question. Are you going to leave me too? Verse 68 of John chapter 6. Simon Peter, Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I was asked one time, have I ever doubted? And what they meant was really my relationship with God. 
And without, without hesitation, I said, no. Because I've never saw it as some intellectual ascent, uh, uh, an idea that I, I signed my name into, I believe X, Y, and Z, but a person who saved me. I don't know what your story is, but here's my story. When God found me, he found a sinner who deserved hell. Actually, that's your story too, whatever. Um, and in my lowest moment, when I understood my sin and God's view, God spoke to my heart then that he still loved me. And he still wanted me as his son. Where will I go? You have the words of life. Where you go, I will go. Where you want me to die, I will die. When is a Moabite not a Moabite? So spoiler alert. Ruth gets married to a, to a relative of her late husband, and it is seen in the scripture as something that is blessed and glorious. But I thought the Israelites weren't supposed to marry Moabites. In Ezra, the priest has those who have married Moabite women and other foreigners divorce them. Ruth isn't a Moabite anymore. She was born and raised in Moab, that is true, but she isn't a Moabite, not in her heart. This book gives us a better look into that law that told them not to, not to marry foreign foreigners. You see, when they would marry foreigners, they wouldn't be like Ruth, where they gave up their citizenship in the, foreign, in the other kingdom. They gave up their gods in the foreign kingdom. They would bring that with them, and their house would be divided. Mom is worshiping Baal, and dad's worshiping Yahweh. And after a while, it just becomes everybody's worshiping Baal. So much of the problem we have in churches today is that we don't expect people to divorce themselves from their foreign gods. We just bring them in and we start having divided houses. We start having the divided house right here and now. We're like, oh, you, you, you like your concept of Jesus? Let's make you a member. Let's make you an elder. And now they're teaching the doctrines of Baal to a new generation. And we're like, oh, I don't know how this is happening. I want to point out how this does give us a better idea that it wasn't a racist, nationalistic thing. It was more about who they are worshiping, where their heart was at. For if they would have, if they would have renounced their citizenship in those other places, renounced their belief in those other gods, and worshiped the true God of the universe, they would have been welcomed into the nation of Israel without comment. Saul and Ruth, for further evidence of Ruth's heart, is her oath. It's a distinctly Jewish oath. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. It's very Jewish that people, you read in the Old Testament, may the Lord do to me, may be ever so severe if I do not. It actually turns out to be kind of a stupid oath because we read in the New Testament, Jesus says, do not swear upon anything of heaven or earth or, um, or on the throne of God, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. But I want to point out how Jewish that oath is. And I also want to point out the exact language of it, because the first king of Israel, a man named Saul, gave an oath, um, said this, these words to a prophet one time. He said, I have sinned, Saul replied. Please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord, your God. Did you catch the difference? King Saul said, the Lord, your God. And Ruth said, the Lord. That's the best way you can put it. Now, you can say, the Lord, my God, and that has a certain amount to it. 
but to say the Lord, meaning he's Lord whether I see him as Lord or not. He truly is Lord of all the universe. It doesn't matter if all of the nations got together, decided to vote that who they wanted to be Lord, and it wasn't Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter because they don't get to say he is Lord, whether we want him to be or not. And that shows Ruth's decision. She will go towards obedience instead of staying in disobedience. Let's come back to Naomi. I said before, we're going to come back to verse 6 and 7. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, returned from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and then she went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And let's skip then to verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had, came, when they had come to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? So I've been kind of trashing Naomi a little bit, and I'm going to talk her up a lot. It takes guts to go back when you know everybody's gossiping about you. It takes a lot of pride to swallow to go back. I know I've done something wrong. Even if it wasn't her personally, right? It was her husband. I know our family has done something wrong, but I'm going to swallow my pride and I'm going to go back towards obedience. Instead of staying, she's like, should I stay or should I go? I am going to go back to the land of my, of my ancestors, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It, took, it takes a lot it takes, it takes a lot of guts to do something like that. It's, um, the bitter wounds of the heart. And you see that she is not in the best state mentally, the best state spiritually. In verse 20, she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, that means bitter. I'm interjecting what those names mean into the scripture. If you're following along, you saw that. If you're not, then I'm letting you know. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Do those words sound familiar? There have been maybe times in your own heart where you've said the same thing. I've went away full, and I've come back empty. The Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. All of Naomi's actions are from this from this place of bitterness in her very heart because she's been wounded so deeply are you here today and you have a bitter wound a lot of times it's not your fault sometimes it is our fault either way we serve a god who heals bitter wounds naomi naomi tells the people in in israel who are already gossiping about her don't call me naomi anymore you can imagine when she left for moab and here's another thing to bring up here not everybody in Judea, in Judah and Bethlehem went away. Most stayed. So if Abimelech had some kind of idea that, like, I had to do this, no, he didn't. Everybody was fine in Bethlehem. They trusted in the Lord their God. Abimelech means God is king. But he didn't live that way. His poor wife was left to pick up the pieces of her life. She comes back and she tells them, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. I've met a lot of Maras. Not people with the first name Mara. I've, I've known one person in my life, but a lot of people who bitterness has just consumed them. 
I remember this poor woman coming into my office, not here, and you wouldn't know her. And she wasn't all that old, but I could have swore she was like about 100 years old because the bitterness of life had just wreaked such havoc. And I would try to talk with her no matter what we talk about. It was bitter, 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 bitter. All these things, I'm always, I'm always, this is always just falling into my lap. Bitter, bitter, bitter. And I try to explain to her, we serve a God who takes what's bitter and he makes it into what is sweet. Verses 20 and 21 are the words of a wounded heart. She has lost everything. She tells them to call her Mara, which means bitter. She has known the bitterness of life. Going back to the faithfulness to obedience can taste bitter. And I'd say, but dear Naomi, our God is one who takes what is bitter and he makes it into what is sweet. When I did a series on the name of, names of God, you might remember one name in particular. I say it all the time. I'm not speaking in tongues. It's a Hebrew word for the name of God. It's Yahweh Rapha. Yahweh Rapha. God is my healer. The Lord is my healer. Now, if you were to guess, where in the world, in the, New, in the Old Testament, was that first described? What God was called, it was, he was named Yahweh Rophe. It would, you would think, well, maybe it was somebody who was like on their deathbed and God healed them. Nope. Maybe it was like a leper who was cleansed. Nope. It's all the way back in Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 through 26, do we have the name Yahweh Rophe? Israel, after the exodus, come to a place where the waters are bitter, and they call those waters Mara. God tells them to take this branch, put it into the water, and it turns sweet. And he is now called Yahweh Rophe. God is my healer. How many people there are like, the church, you know, just to come to God, that's not going to fix anything. That's not going to make anything better. You're wrong. He is a God who takes what's bitter and he makes it into what is sweet. There was a man named Joseph who was the son of a guy named Jacob and his brother sold him into slavery. Long story short, from that point, God saves the whole region who goes into a severe famine and he tells his brothers who think after their father dies, he's really going to lay into us. He says, what you meant for evil, God turned it towards, towards the good. Dear Naomi, you are about to witness redemption like you've never heard of. You are about to find what you find, what is so bitter in your life will turn to what is sweet because he is our Lord and my healer. He turns what is bitter into what is sweet. He is Yahweh Rafe, our healer. Worship team, would you please come up at this time? This first chapter of Ruth is filled with people making a decision or faced with that decision, should I stay or should I go? Now, maybe that's not, that doesn't apply to you, be like you're thinking of moving somewhere, but we're all, we all have these callings from God on our life that we are either going to live in obedience or we are going to stay in disobedience, or we're going to try to escape in disobedience like Jonah, or we stay in obedience like Abimelech should have. And you have to decide, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Abimelech decides to go in disobedience, to trust in the gods of foreign nations, to trust into a nation, into a land that was not his own. He had Ophrah, staying back from God's call. The people who received, seemed like they received the word of God with joy. I mean, she was right there with, with Ruth, crying, we will leave, we will go with you towards your people. And what is the, how does her story end? She kisses her mother-in-law. Great, but it doesn't mean anything. 
Some people there, so they have an emotional experience in church. Great, but it doesn't mean anything if you don't persist, if you don't keep going. She kissed her, Ruth clung to her. Be Ruth, cling. (coughs) Ruth, going towards God's promise. When it came for her, the decision, do I stay in the land of disobedience or do I go into the land of blessing? She decided it was so much better to go into the land of blessing. For Naomi, she knew she knew to go there might be trouble. She'd have a lot of pride that she needed, she needed to swallow, but to stay there would be double to continue in that act of disobedience. So she goes out in faith. Where are you today? Has God put something in your heart you're just kind of ignoring? Maybe a bit of obedience you need to step into, or maybe you're in disobedience and you need to step away from it. I pray that God, through this next song that we sing, this last song we sing, allow the Holy Spirit to point out something in your life that you either need to flee or run towards. Always, 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 we need to be grounded in God's word. I've heard people try to use this teaching, and they will try to use it to act disobediently. You cannot, you cannot use an ungodly means to get a godly result. You will reap what you sow, and God is not a fool. He will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, and a woman reaps what she sows. But allow the Holy Spirit to point something out in your life, a bit of obedience or disobedience you need to either flee or run towards. Worship team, would you please lead us in our final song? I'll end in our benediction. But this is our moment to respond to the sermon today. To decide if we're going to be like Oprah and miss our opportunity for blessing or to be like Ruth and cling to be like Naomi instead of just staying in disobedience to crucify our pride and turn to God in faith and repentance. Worship team, would you please lead us?